According to the 2021 Workforce Institute white paper, 52% of those surveyed were planning to look for a new job this year. That has increased from a norm of 35% in the previous two years. My name is Stephen Norton and you are very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, episode 25. One thing that has caught my attention in the stats from the podcast in the last month is the growth in listenership from outside Ireland. It's amazing to be able to connect with people in the UK, the USA, Australia, India and even Chile. This is the power of technology. If we use it wisely, I think it's great. And on that topic, I want to remind people of episode 14 with Andrew Barnes, who instigated a four-day week in his company in New Zealand. This movement is gathering followers, and I would really like to see some brave company pilot it here in Ireland. If you're a courageous leader, please go back and listen to episode 14 and listen to the facts that Andrew has learned on his transformation to a four-day week. Now, I meet some brilliant people through my work as a leadership coach and consultant, and when they are truly brilliant, and this is one of the aspects of the job that I really love, I learn bucket loads from these people. A man who I started working with in the past few years that 100% fits into this category is Tony O'Connor. Tony is Managing Director of PDI and has 16 years service in the military as a commissioned officer as well as 20 years experience in leadership services, executive coaching and talent management across Europe and the Middle East and across sectors including insurance, pharma, software development, technology and all other IT services sectors. His speciality is designing and delivering leadership programs for high potential leaders. So I invited Tony on to talk about his experience of leadership and to share his formula for a successful leader. Enjoy. Tony O'Connor, you're very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast. Thank you, Steve. So Good to be here. Yeah, no, great to have you on. Tony, let's get an idea about where you've come from and why you're an expert in leadership. Okay, uh, maybe it all started in the military. So when I left school uh, a long time ago now in County Galway, in St. Charlotte's in June, uh, I went straight into the grad school and spent my 18 months uh, training to be an officer. And on, on receiving my commission, I was sent to Donegal and then spent a number of years between Galway and UCG, uh, Cork, Limerick, spent a stint in South Lebanon, uh, but ended up in Cork. And uh, did an MBA then towards the end of the 90s. And when I was doing the MBA, I pretty much made my mind up that I was going to leave the army at that stage. And I found myself being offered a number of roles coming to the end of the program and didn't take any of them. And it was a case when even my wife said to me, so when are you going to take one of these jobs? You've invested all this time and money and resource in yourself. And I grew up in a business at home and uh, I was aware of, how, you know, the trials and tribulations and and most of my family have been involved in that business. So being self-employed was something that was always in the back of my mind. And I decided to take the plunge and uh, go work for myself as opposed to go uh, work for a large organization uh, or in some cases uh, a multinational. So I felt that uh, based on my background that the military do two things really well. So they train. Uh, because you're always training for something. Mm. But also, they are very good at managing performance. And I found myself going down that route uh, of setting up an L&D company initially. And a lot of the work we, we, you would have done was more around personal effectiveness, you know, some developmental work around leadership. And back then, management development. 
uh, it was less so leadership development back then, it was more management development. And I spent a stint with a company called Essential Training in Dublin, and then McConkie Performance Management, which I founded with German McConkie and I got called Mike Brennan. Uh, and then we set up a company called PDI to uh, develop a psychometric with a company in Florida. And that's where my focus and attention started to, to, to go to. And I think I did my thesis on leadership and change. And I think that was the driver. It really got me focused on leadership. It got me focused on change management. And bringing both of those together was something that I really had a passion for. And along the way, Mike was offered a CEO role in one of our clients and decided to take it. So Dermot and I decided that we had PDI and we had McConkie. And I took PDI and Dermot, you know, took McConkie was his name, it was his company. And we worked together, but in separate companies. Uh, because I, at that stage, wanted to ground the, the field of leadership and executive coaching more than anything else. And so I came to executive coaching almost by accident because it was people coming to me asking me what I do, do, do the one-to-one as opposed to do the, the group work. And I realized I really liked it and decided that so if I'm going to do this, I better get qualified as a coach. And I worked with a couple of companies in the UK, uh, one in Reading and then one actually in, in Perlis, but they were UK-based coaching development, which were a super company. And really was just taught the skills of coaching, which I think most of us have, but we kind of get to, to realize what they are when we kind of go on these programs. And we, you know, really develop those skills in a certain way and develop the communication around, around coaching. So I found myself going into coaching more and more uh, with that leadership services uh, kind of element to our business. And as we evolved, we then started to build some key relationships. And I found myself, you know, really focusing on that collaboration. And, and I'm very strong on the idea that, you know, you, you, you really need a kind of partnership model when you're working uh, in anything you do. And, you know, so we end up with associate partners. We have content partners, strategic partners, academic partners. And uh, it has really allowed us to, to evolve into the company that we are. Uh, so leadership became pretty much what I do. And uh, it was funny, it was never by, by design. Uh, I just ended up in that space and found I was good at it, if I'm being honest, uh, and enjoyed it and uh, really started to work with some super people and some really good companies uh, and feel privileged that I've, you know, these you know, people allowed me into their space, particularly in that one-to-one when you're coaching somebody. So I'm now you know, fully uh, maybe engaged on that leadership services journey. Uh, we work with a number of key companies, uh, some blue chips on different leadership programs. Uh, and a lot of my work then is spent in the one-to-one executive coaching. What are the parallels between military leadership and business leadership? So obviously, when you left the military, you weren't thinking, oh, here's here's a, a plug and play, done leadership in the military, let's go straight in. It, it evolved afterwards. But what do you see are the parallels, the commonalities, or even the big differences between the military and, and uh, the business world? Yeah, that's a really good question. And you know, sometimes when people are buying our services, they assume because you're in the military that there's a certain leadership orientation. <laughs> yeah. And and being very honest, you know, you see as many strong leaders in industry and business than you do uh, in the military. I've seen really, really good leaders in the military, but equally I've seen uh, as many, if not more, in the industry. 
So I think a lot of it is, you know, we look at leadership and we have a certain orientation or philosophy towards what it is and what it's not. And military leadership is sometimes very much deemed to be authoritative, which it's not. You know, you 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 use it and apply the styles as much in the military as you do in, in business and in, and in industry. And certain environments, if you're in a in uh, an environment where it's you know it's it's a hostile environment, then you have to have a certain leadership style. However, if you're in a headquarters environment back in Ireland, you're going to use a very much a staff orientation or a administrative orientation, mm. which is a very different style as well. Equally, you find that in business. So you go into some organizations and if you're working within the sales department, you'll find a certain leadership orientation. But then you go down the corridor and you go into finance and you'll see a completely different style of, of, of leadership. So I think the parallels are all about people and yeah. about, about behaviors. Now, I know people talk about traits when it comes to the military and certain types of leader. But fundamentally, you know, I believe leadership is all about, you know, behavior and guiding principles and what you believe to be true and your ideology and your philosophy and the impact that you make. So whether you're a military officer or whether you're a, a manager in a company, I think, you know, it's it's the parallels run very, very close. Do you know one thing that strikes me as you talk there is that there's, there's one thing that's quite different between the two. So in the military, you enter cadet school and this is where you train to be a leader before anybody gives you anybody to lead. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. they train you first. And, and actually there's a failure rate. I'm assuming there's a failure rate across all military academies that some people don't make it. Some people and some people deselect themselves out. They decide this is not for me, yeah. this leadership thing. Whereas in business, we do it the other way around. Usually what we do is we, we you know, find the, the operators that are doing the work and then we promote them and then we promote them a little bit more potentially. And suddenly they find themselves as a leader, but with this on the job training. You know, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like being in a war zone and, you know, kind of telling the private, actually, you're, you're in charge of this squad now. So yeah. get on with it, will you? Don't worry, we'll send you on the training course next year when there's money in the budget. <laughs> yeah, but but I think you know when you think about the military, they have a very strong selection process. It's quite rigorous. So when you go through a selection process in the military, you know you, you've got to follow a certain criteria, and it's very competency based. So mm. you know their 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 predictability is very strong. And you know if I remember back to my my cadet school days, you had you know guys who were very bright, very intelligent guys, you know top of their class in in secondary school. Equally, you had guys really good at sport, uh, or you had the guys who were a combination of both. You know, so a really broad cross section of different individuals from different parts of the country, and you know, some people who had never had any experience in the military before, some whose whose dads were officers in in in, in the military, some whose dads were, were weren't. You know, so you had a really cross section of different types of people, and you're right. Then they're molded into a certain type of leader. Mm. And you spend 18 months going through a process and coming out the back end with a certain leadership skill. But, you know, they do it, they, they do it in a way that's, that, that's very processed, very systematic, and it's always competency-based. And, you know, allowing, allowing you to, to work with that model that gets you to a place where you're a lot clearer about what you need to be doing. As a young officer, I was 19 when I was commissioned and, you know, uh, stationed in Donegal with a 2 3 star platoon. And I had to learn to trust my sergeant really, really quickly, you know, because, you know, all that training you do in the cadet school really sets you up for success. But you've got to then apply that in a very experiential way. 
Uh, and you got to trust people. You just got to trust those people around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the military is a, it's rigorous. It, it, it really gives you the skills, the competencies to grow and develop, which that was one of the reasons I, 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 I am doing what I'm doing today. That's why I ended up in the company that I formed and, and uh, set up because I believed that's what the military do better than most. And do you, like the, those skills that they teach you, do you think, you know, after all this time that they're still with you, that you still use them on a, on a daily basis and how you approach your work? My clients do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you do. I think, you know, it's, uh, I probably was, I, I was raw going into the cadet school and, you know, I think the military gave me a lot of discipline uh, and gave me a certain, you know, way of looking at things and, and very much believing in doing the right thing. And, you know, also, I have a firm belief in, in being a specialist. And I think the military gives you the, the all-round skill and then gets you to narrow down and focus on what you're really good at. And, you know, I think that was one thing that, that I really took from that is that you need to think about, so what is my specialism? So what am I good at? And hone on that skill and, and, and make it your own. Uh, but also military gives you confidence. It gives you that confidence to, you know, step up to the plate and take responsibility, make decisions, problem solve. All yeah. those type of things that we expect from, from military leaders. And and you then you find yourself in South Lebanon, you know, which yeah. is we talk about leadership tests, but obviously going to a place where where you have to look after the lives of your soldiers is uh, as big a test as anybody will get. What age were you when you when you went there for the first time? I was mid mid to late twenty. Uh, so I mean, I I was due to go on two previous trips, but for different reasons, I, I couldn't travel. Uh, I, I had an operation on my knee, which which took me out of the trip, and then I was involved uh, with a sports club that uh, uh, also limited my, my my availability. Let's put it like that. Yeah. And uh, but when my time when my time came, yeah, I was I think about twenty seven. I went and uh, yeah, but you're at that stage. You're you know you're you're well, well equipped equally. You know you do a lot of training in advance of of, of traveling. Uh, you know you bring your platoon, and your only mission is to bring them all home, and mm. that's the primary focus. So you 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 you, you train for that, uh, and when you're out there, you're 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 equipped to deal with whatever situation comes your way. Uh, obviously, things happen, but you know you. You just, you know, you, again, I keep coming back to the word trust. You know, you trust those around you and, you know, the, the, some of the parts and, you know, you're, you're, you're really ready for, for those type of scenarios when, you know, when they do happen. Obviously the Irish military have a great reputation overseas, Absolutely. you know, kind of second to none, but do, did you notice uh, a change in people when they did go to that really thin end of the wedge where, where, you know, it's, it's a tough stressful situation did you notice a change in the leadership of those around you no not really i think you know you're training for something like that all the time and and you know so a lot of guys who were with me had been there previously and had experienced you know the, the, the same environment and you know again it's very enjoyable so it's you know it's it's it's, it's what you're trained to do and and mm. you know south lebanon the people are wonderful people and it's a really really nice place to be uh I mean, it's, it's really, it's ironic. So for five years, I was moving back and forth to the Middle East, working with a, a company in, in, in Dubai, but founded by a guy from Lebanon and ended up working with, you know, a lot of, a lot of Lebanese. It was, it was, you know, one of the great things about that, that, 
that contract was. I've gone to Lebanon five, six times back to Beirut. And they really conjured up something special for me because after serving there uh, in the United Nations, it was really, really good to go back. And the connection with, with the Lebanese people, they felt that, you know, because you had served in South Lebanon and because, you know, they, there's a very fondness for the Irish out there. Uh, it was a really strong, you know, connection for me to be able to go back and work with these people at a very different level. Uh, a really something that, you know, I've always treasured. Yeah, excellent. You mentioned just a little while ago about the teaching people the behaviours, and that's that's one of the mm. key things about leadership. So this goes back to a debate that I've had with some of my own students uh, recently in terms of are leaders born or are they made? So you, you must come across this question a lot. All the time, all the time. And, uh, and there isn't an answer to it in the sense that you can debate it whichever way you want. And, uh, and I'm, I'm even at the stage where I'm, I'm, I'm understanding both sides of it now, you know, because if I was, you know, coming from a military background, I'd probably say that they're, they're born. And, you know, a lot of traits-based theory will tell you that. And if you believe in group and process and, you know, that whole attraction policy, you're looking for a certain type of individual. And that's where it gets interesting when you start talking about type. And then you start to think about, okay, so if they are born, well, then why do we have so many good leaders, as you said, that are trained? Mm. Because, you know, we then can look at behaviors. And I think that's where the real argument around leadership is that we can teach behaviors. It's like a muscle. You know, yeah. you can exercise it. You can grow it. You can develop it. You can get stronger at it. Uh, you can learn to stretch it, flex it, all those type of things. So what I kind of, what I've come, you know, to really believe is that, you know, we can, we can make it. We can, we can teach it. We can develop it. We can grow it. We can enhance it. In, in you know, anybody? It depends what style you're looking at. And uh, I know I'm probably sitting on the ditch by saying this, but... <laughs> You know, so if you look at, even take the simplest four style grid around the authoritative, the persuasive, the participative, the administrative, you know, administrative leaders are a certain type of leader. Equally, the authoritative leader is a certain type of leader. We need both. And equally, we need the participative and the persuasive. So, you know, I think it's finding your place in leadership. And I think it's, if you go back to type theory as well and bring it back to something like a Myers-Briggs, you know, we, we'll find a way that those 16 types will all be highly effective in certain situations. Mm. So some will find themselves, you know, with a certain orientation and going in a certain direction, but generally there's a place for everybody. And so it depends what type of leadership you're looking for, as opposed to saying that, you know, it's one or the other. So as a coach as well, you, you will come across a lot of people who feel out of place. Do you think that's why maybe they feel out of place is because they are stuck in a role that's not their type? The, you know, that doesn't suit them? 100%. You know, I think that it's interesting. I've been doing work with UCC this year with the first years in uh, in BCom. I, I've been acting as a mentor on the program and we introduced them to uh, the Belvin team role theory, which was fascinating because now you're giving a 19-year-old uh, a tool that allows them to explore themselves and mm. allows them to look at their preference and look at how they contribute and interrelate and behave. At 19, as they're starting out in their uh, university life. And so I've done a number of sessions with some of these uh, teams, and it's fascinating to hear them speak around what you think about this career and what you think about that career and, you know, and on resource investigators, should have been going down a more people-oriented career or 
I'm a complete finisher? Should I be thinking more around the finance roles? And I think it's invaluable that you allow yeah. people to explore that and to give them insights in what their preference might be. And then the likelihood of finding the role and the type of jobs that they, that they end up in are going to give them what they need and give them the success that they, that they want from, from work. Do you, do you find that they are ready for that kind of introspection and self-reflection in terms of what they want? I was amazed, absolutely amazed at how open uh, some of these kids effectively were yeah. in, in uh, embracing it and how open they were to it. Uh, and it was really interesting, you know, hearing them use the language and yeah. talk about the language of, of the profile. And the interesting piece was, as part of it, they were allowed to get four observers to give them feedback, okay. which was even more powerful. So these were their peers, either friends, people they've been to school with, people on the program. They get them additional insight. Uh, and just, I think how they put it together was really, really positive. And so I think we, we need to spend more time with helping people to understand where their key strengths might be, allowing them to kind of, to, to work with that, allowing them to explore it. Mm. And, and you know, so if you've got a certain orientation and and if you're allowed to kind of work with that and, and develop it and grow it, then you'll end up in a position that, you know, you'll be extremely comfortable in and you'll get the best out of yourself. Whereas a lot of people go down a route because they feel it's the right way to go or because, you know, their brother or sister might have been on that route or their mom and dad might have been on that route. And, yeah. So, you know, maybe that's where I should be going. And then 10 years into the career, they realize, well, why did I ever end up here? I should have been going in another direction and I should have followed, you know, my gut when I was, when I was maybe in second or third or fourth year in college. So I think, yeah. you know, when you look at it that, you know, it's, it's finding what suits your personality, finding, you know, what is your preference around your contributions, you know, allowing you to kind of work with your competency set. And, you know, finding that job and it's the right job for you or the right career for you. It's something, as you know, uh, from what we do together, like I spend mm -hmm. a lot of time with colleges as well because of yeah. exactly that reason. I'd rather help uh, 20 somethings make good decisions than deal with the bad decisions of 30 somethings. Um, you know, and, and, and I think the earlier we teach people how to make decisions, and to, to reflect on those decisions, that the better it will be for everybody. So I, I ther absolutely agree with you that, you know, teaching people those decisions early is key. It, nobody's doing that, though. You know, even, even in mm -hmm. corporates, we, we, you know, we tend to, they come out of college yeah. and we put them into the machine. And then we tend not to, you know, maybe you, you're on a graduate program and maybe there's a few things on it. But, you know, we just put them through the churn and... Then they come out, you know, at 28, 29, either successful or a bit lost, you know, and I think that's a, a failure on our part, the people who create the cultures of these corporates that actually we're not giving them the chance to succeed. And ultimately that's affecting the bottom line of the company because we sh every single person we hire, we should be looking at them as if they're going to change this place for the better, you know? 100%. And, but I think we need, we, we need to let people explore as well. You know, mm, when, when, I, yeah. when I left the, mil the military, you know, I was offered one job in consulting, again, uh, would have loved to take it, but decided not to. Uh, I was offered a job with, with uh, a representative body uh, on two occasions, didn't take it. I was then in the process of a final interview with the multinational. So three very different types of job. Yeah. But went down the route of, of being self-employed and made a lot of mistakes. 
you know, when I think back the first two, three years, you know, I probably got it wrong more than I got it right. Yeah. Uh, but I had to do that. I had to go through it and I had to experience it. And, you know, and <laughs> just one of these things, you got to do it. And and I think I was fortunate. I think I was fortunate that I explored at that, that age. I, I had no kids, you know, yeah. I had a very supporting wife. And it allowed me to do some of those things. Uh, and then my son came along and my daughter, you know, and at that stage I was, I was getting it more right than wrong. Yeah. The and, training wheels were off. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and it was, and, you know, but, but you have to do that. And I think, you know, there's a bit of courage in that. And, and, you know, going out, I wasn't courageous about it or brave about it. I just ended up, I had to be, because you're mm. in the situation now, you got to do it. And, you know, I think that was a big learning for me is uh, don't be afraid to try something. Yeah. You know, be courageous, be curious, curious on my values, be curious. Yeah. You know, yeah. just, just have a go, just see what happens. And I think sometimes we get caught into almost expectation from others and it doesn't allow us to explore. We get, we get caught into going down a certain pathway because others have gone maybe that pathway as well. And we feel it's the right one to do. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I, 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 people I coach, I say, stop saying should and start saying could. And, yes. you know, so what could you do? You know, and stop saying I should do because that's an external word. It doesn't belong mm. to you. It belongs to somebody else. Mm. And I think be curious, be courageous, you know, see where it takes you. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one of, to me, one of the things I've learned more than anything else on, on this leadership journey. It's, you got to think about what's possible. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a sports ad here or anything like that. But <laughs> no, but. no, I, I agree with you. I, I and I think we need to get that message out there that people need to try. I think in Ireland in general, we're not great at letting people explore. We kind of tend to have our set ideas and even our, you know, our um, our bankruptcy laws. You know, somebody fails in a business, and it's like, well, you had your one chance at the business, chance, yeah. and right. that's it. Whereas if you go to America or even England, it's like, well, actually there's serial entrepreneurs where I tried that business. It didn't work. I tried that business. It didn't work in Ireland. You, you, you get one chance and if it doesn't work well, oh, you better yeah. just get a job, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but you're right in some regards. And, and I think it's a fear of failure, uh, yeah. which we shouldn't have, you know, when it's, it's funny when you see the Irish, you know, when we go out and we start doing things, we generally succeed. Mm. it's one of those things that you know no matter where we go in the world we succeed yeah. and yeah that's just our nature it's our spirit mm. uh, but be curious i just keep saying that one be curious absolutely see, see where it takes you do you think that leadership has changed since you started you know since you left the military and you're you've been teaching on leadership programs and 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 you know supplying leadership services to to companies do you think that the nature of leadership has changed in business? Yeah, I think it has. I mean, I mentioned, I think at the start that when we started out, we were management development as opposed to leadership development. Yeah. And, you know, and I think what has changed more than anything else, though, is, is Ireland. Right. And, you know, when I started out, it was 1999, 2000. You know, the Celtic economy was pretty much, you know, up and running. Uh, but I think the multinational space has you know, open up our eyes to certain, certain things. And, you know, if you look at a lot of the philosophies and, you know, ideologies, a lot of it was based on, on Americanisms. Uh, yeah. And a lot of the kind of, you know, the, the key literature, it, again, comes from a lot of comes from the States. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's all from the States, but a lot of it is. 
Mm. So I think we started out, we were looking very much at management development. But then it was a couple of books that I think changed my my way of thinking. And one was True North from Bill George, and the other was mm. you know, Good to Great from Jim Collins. And I started to get thinking about, you know, the idea of, you know, the almost, well, in Collins, when he talked about this iron will and humanity, so that, you know, it was, you didn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. You could look at things from different perspectives. And, you know, the authentic leader from George and that idea of being true to yourself. Yeah. And we got more comfortable with those, that type of language. We got more comfortable with, you know, being authentic. We got more comfortable with transformation. We got more comfortable with emotional intelligence. And we, I think, you know, that, that, that new approach leadership, they came very much about self-leadership and yeah. the emotional intelligence journey around first of all, being self-aware, then, you know, self-regulate, and then you could maybe self-motivate. So it became about self-leadership. And then as you, as I, I think as that emerged, it became very kind of value-based. And, you know, then as you talked about a while ago, the behavioral side of it came into play. So I think we're a lot more comfortable in that type of language now, we're a lot more comfortable in, in working with those type of ideologies. So I think leadership is becoming very much, you know, around understanding self and then how you bring that in into the organizations that you work in or the teams you work in or even just the general environment and the contribution that you make mm. from a personal perspective, not even from, from a team or organization perspective. And the value that we have and the value that we bring. Uh, and I think that's the big change for me. But I think for me, Collins was a was definitely a good trade. Was definitely a book that changed how I how I saw things. And do you think that that's uh, introspection first before you uh, unleash your leadership? Uh, do you think that that's the key component that that's different in modern leadership? Is that what people need? It's one of the skills. Is that actually a um, a positive self reflection, honest? as well 100%. honest self-reflection is, is that is that is that yeah. the one thing that would make a big difference if people were to to make a change yeah, I, think, I think so i mean we're living in a world of disruption now we're living in this world where you know digital is becoming you know we all talk about it we're still fully don't understand it mm. but so we're living in, a, in an agile world and i think we've got to be very adaptable but the only way you can adapt i believe is first of all known self you know yeah. to their own self be true and, you know, so I use a lot of psychometrics in my work and I really believe that that's a really good starting point for anybody because yeah. it gives us a foundation. It gives us a baseline. And once we uh, understand a little bit more about ourselves, then we can start to decide, so what type of leader do I want to be? What do I need to be? What do my teams need for me? What does my organization need for me? Am I comfortable playing that type of role? Can I step into that type of orientation? What's the best type of job for my style? So when we when we start to kind of to to think about those things, we then start to really start getting the best out of ourselves. And we start yeah. then to reflect on what's really important to me from the individual perspective of what type of leader I am and what type of leader do I want to be. Yeah. I think that's really important. And I think going back to one the curiosity thing that you talked about, you need to be curious yeah. about yourself. You need to be 100%. curious about your own potential. How far can you push it as well? Yeah. And you need to be brave. I mean, some of the people listening to this will be, you know, potentially mid forties thinking, well, look, you know, I've already gone down this path. You know, there's, if mm. I get off now, I'm going to have to, to make some serious changes, but actually life, life is long now. You know, you, if, if you're mid forties, there's a, there's a, a 
another 20 years of work right. left. Are you going to accept mediocre for another yeah. 20 years? I, yeah, and I mean, that's a, that's, that's a typical world, our word, mediocre. I mean, and it's a word I really don't like uh, because, you know, it's, it's, it can be sometimes subjective. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those things that sometimes, you know, some of the most effective and productive people I know are those that are really happy in nine to five and do a really fantastic job. And, but there's other things in their life important as well. Yeah, you know, it's, others are not, right? And I think it's again, we're back to that kind of self leadership journey. We got to decide what do I really want from this, and what is the meaning of work, and yeah. what is my psychological contract to work, yeah. and why is that important? You know, so what could be important to me, and I know from working with you, it's probably important to you too. But I, you know, I know that some people may may not find that important. They may find that there's something else could really yeah. be kind of driving them and motivating them. I think yeah. we've got to appreciate that as well, that, you know, it's different strokes, different folks. And I think that's what's changing in leadership as well. You know, that it's it's not one size fits all. Yeah, that's true. I, really interesting uh, statistic that I read earlier on, and I'll, I'll find, uh, I, I can't quote the, this, the research, but uh, it, it was in America and Canada that 52% of people are considering changing their job over the next wow. year. Now that's up from the previous year. So that's up from 2019. So this is uh, pandemic driven yeah. from 14. So 14% to 52% over the, over the last while. So people are self-reflecting. They're certainly kind of questioning, is this what I want? I think that's yes. one thing that the virtual environment has given people is they've, they've taken a step back. 100%. Yeah. Is, and I think because we have so much time now, yeah. You know, in, and I know myself, and so the commutes are gone. You know, mm. I was for five years traveling back and forward to the Middle East. I was doing some work in Azerbaijan. So you were on the move, and mm. you probably didn't give yourself that self-reflection time. You didn't yeah. slow it down. And I think a lot of us, you know, just it was busy, 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 doing it, doing it, doing it, but really enjoying it, yeah. but not really stopping and saying, so is this it for the next 15, yeah. 20 years? Yeah. Or, you know, is, is there something more I might want from this? And it's it's funny, we've changed our business dramatically during the last 14 months. Mm. And it just allowed us to reflect on things. It allowed us to do things in a different way. Uh, it allowed us to slow down and to get perspective. And yeah. that's been a big, big learning for me during uh, the pandemic. All, all of those brain cells that were tied up with the uh, traffic and flight numbers and how to, how to pack your bag and make sure you didn't have liquids uh, now are free to do other things. Yeah, and I spend a lot of time on the on the uh, Cork Dublin train as well. So yeah. I'm living in Cork, so and uh, I spend a lot of time on the train. You know, up to last February, twelve months. Yeah, uh, I've been Dublin at least once a week on the train, and and I was I was coaching uh, underage rugby as well at weekends and. So it all stopped and, you know, you come mm -hmm. to a place where you're now kind of going, okay, so I'll do my time. Yeah. And so you reflect and you think and, you know, and, and so you can't do things. So mm -hmm. you do start to think about, you know, self, life, yeah. family, business, all those type of things. Do you think the virtual environment and of course, you know, acknowledging that it's not virtual for everybody. A lot of people still are still mm -hmm. in offices and in uh, workplaces where, uh, it's deemed essential, but do you think the virtual environment has changed the leadership challenge? Yeah, I think it has. Uh, I think we got to be a lot clearer in our communications. That's the, the, the 
big thing I've seen really uh, in in say the recent months. Uh, but I think we're going to be very kind of almost instant in our messaging as well. Mm. You know, if we got to deal with stuff, we got to deal with stuff uh, at that particular time, whether it be through you know these Teams, Zooms, or mm. just pick up the phone or send a text. I think people need that. I think they need that connection. Yeah. So they're not they're not getting to the office. They're not getting you know you hear all these water cooler kind of coffee terminology, but yeah. they're not getting to meet people. I mean, I was I was talking to a client recently. It's said something really, you know, interesting around it's the two minute conversation as you're getting up, you know, when you're leaving the meeting room or or you meet, meet might somebody in the corridor or you might be grabbing a tea or a coffee or, or something. You, you're not getting those. And yeah. it was interesting. Somebody had said to me that, you know, when they're on their team meetings, they, they leave, they don't leave until the end. They wait just in case somebody wants to have a quick chat. Right. So they, yeah. they make themselves present until the whole thing is 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 everybody's left. Then they leave. Yeah, that's uh, a I, good thought, idea. I thought that was interesting. Yes, yeah. I was on it. I was on a webinar recently, and and it was one of these HBR webinars, and they were talking about communications. Mm. And the individual giving the webinar talked about the accentuating your your communication. So raise it up by twenty percent. So yeah. you know sometimes you got to bring it up. You got to you know when you're in a, in a meeting, you just got to raise it up. Because, you know, sometimes if you don't, it might come across as being quite monotone or might come across as, as you know, just quite static. So mm. they use the term, be more dynamic in your communications when yeah. we are in this environment. Yeah, because uh, you lose all that physical, that physical 100%. energy that's there. Yeah. yeah. I think another piece, and it, one of my clients, you know, has, has reflected this in, in a certain really positive way, is that idea of care. I think we got to really be thinking about People are going through this in different ways, mm. you know, and I see it a lot too with, you know, with, with, with young families and it's really tough. It's t- tough, particularly when you've got two parents working and you've got, you know, in, in two jobs that, you know, they're trying to juggle all sorts of things and still trying to juggle work. And I think we've got to cut people some slack around that. And that's something I've really, I've noticed and I'm quite encouraged by it, you know, that you do see companies have, have allowed, you know, that flexibility. Uh, whenever yeah. we can, I think it's it's, it's really important, uh, and also create that safe space for the team. You know, mm-hmm. so whatever way we want to do it, checking in or, you know, the engagement strategies or you know how we're kind of just making sure that people are are good, and you know that it's working, uh, yeah. because it's a tough environment for for us all. I mean, we're all we're all going through it in different ways, uh, yeah. but I think we just we got to be really conscious of some of those things. Yeah. So, you know, caring for staff, it's a, it's a word, you know, we used to have all our corporate speak well-being and, you know, mm. all, all that engagement, but actually a word like caring, you know, how do you care for your staff? That's a, that's quite an yeah. emotive word as well. Yeah. And there's, there's a, there's a good friend of mine and friend of yours, Dennis Doolan. And, you know, Dennis, uh, he's very strong in DNI and sustainability and he, he has a term, you know, leave no one behind. Mm. And I think if if I learned anything this year, it's that, you know, leave no one behind. Mm. And you've got to be caring. You've got to be thinking about, you know, our teams. You've got to be thinking, you know, how are people really kind of going through this? And and listen, listen to understand. Mm. You know, it's it's a really important skill. Yeah. And yeah. what's been really said, not what's been said, but what's been really said. Mm. And that takes patience and it takes just slowing things down and 
maybe repeat and reframe and all those things that we need to do. Uh, but I, I do, I, I agree with you. You know, the word care, I think is really, it's, it's something we need to just kind of spend time with mm. during this time. And, and hopefully we're coming out the back end of it now. And that's going to be a challenge again in itself because mm, now we've got yeah. to go back in. And, and, and it's funny in my one-to-ones, I'm hearing that, you know, people are now wondering, you know, how I'm going to be when I go back in, <laughs> yeah. you know, how different is it going to be? And, that's very interesting. It's like, you know, you're hearing these conversations that six months ago, just couldn't wait to go back. Yes. And yeah. now getting closer to it, it's like, oh my God, you know, what's going to be like? You Anxiety know? is kicking in now. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's now that the, you know, the day is getting closer, you know, people are reflecting on that piece as well. So. Um, well, a lot of people are getting very comfortable in their own space and in their own, yeah. um, uh, you know, like like a pig in its own muck. You know, they're kind of they're quite happy to be there, and you know, yeah. don't don't clean up my place. You know, this is where I yeah. want. But sharing that space, it's like it's like living on your own for a while, and then having to go into a house share. Yeah, you're gonna get some uh, tension there when they go back. So leaders got to be prepared for that. I think leaders got to be calibrated. You yeah. know, I think they got to now start thinking about those skill sets. Yeah, one more time, and and you know, not take anything for granted. And, you know, deal with, with everybody, you know, in a different way, you know, different strokes, different folks. Mm. I think something like situation leadership will become really important over the next, the next number of months. You know, I also believe that, you know, it's, it's, it's really about understanding. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, that's a very participative, collaborative type of leadership orientation. And if that's not your natural tendency, you know, it's, it's going to be something we got to really reflect on and think about. Yeah. Because I think it's going to be important. Yeah, absolutely. What what do you think leaders nowadays are, you know, what's the obvious thing that, that they're missing? Uh, what do you see as the big gap? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, I've been talking about curiosity and I sometimes think that, you know, it is missing. I think, yeah. you know, leaders are not curious enough. And I think sometimes they just need to just slow it down and, and, ask one more question, ask two more questions, you know, ask yeah. otherwise, just be curious. And, you know, I've been saying that a number of times, but I think, I think it is, it is, it is kind of missing. I think the other piece that, that I've, I've noticed uh, is understanding others' perspectives. You know, it's, it's something that, you know, don't get me wrong. I know a lot of people who do it brilliantly, mm. but you know, there is a bit of that missing, you know, I think, I think it's, it's trying to understand what's important to other people and what motivates them and, mm. you know, what, what engages them. And kind of linked to that is I think that kind of leader is coach and, you know, it's, it's looking at your team and, you know, you, both you and I work in the executive coaching space, but there's also leadership as coach piece that, you know, leaders need to be thinking about mm. and those type of skills around, you know, listening, questioning, you know, just reframing, understanding, you know, just working with your teams, you know, just to get them to to the next level, whatever that yeah. level might be. And, you know, I have a very simple philosophy in life. I think that, you know, the job of a leader is to develop other leaders. Mm. And the other piece is quite simple, leaders influence. And I think a leader as coach, you can do those type of things. And, yeah. But you don't always see it in organizations. No. And I think it's something that may be missing. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, you know, without getting into the generational thing, we're always blaming those pesky kids. But 
that's what they're looking for now. You know, even yeah. the, you know, when it was millennials, the millennials are growing up now. They're complaining about the pesky kids now. So, but the, the, they're looking for, for somebody who will develop them like, like everybody was in the past, but we just didn't have yeah. access to it. But now they know they can get that. As you yeah. say, we've, we, we've been educated into that language. Maybe, as you say, a little bit Americanized in some ways, but people yeah. are looking for that. And, uh, they're 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 looking for somebody who's going to be a mentor, who's going to be a coach, who's going to to develop them, who takes an interest in them. Um, absolutely, and, absolutely, and, and that that's really interesting. Yeah, and and I suppose when they don't get that, they can get very disillusioned, and then later on, corporates are wondering why their staff are disengaged. So, well, we 100%. didn't engage them, so that's why they're disengaged. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. But also look at look at their perspectives. Mm. You know and. I think that sometimes we miss that is that you know, sometimes, you know, we need to just harness that creativity and that, that collectivism in our teams. And you only do that when you slow down yeah. and you, you give it that space. And, you know, we've heard this term growth mindset a lot recently. Mm, um, stuff, yeah. yeah. And I really believe that, that the companies that will succeed over the next coming months and into in the next year. And so it's those that will embrace that growth mindset. And move away from that fixed mindset, and I think it's missing in some organisations. It's very visible in some in, in other organisations, but it's a collectivism. A growth mindset has to be everybody, mm. so it has to be you know right across that kind of collective accountability that we have in organisations. Uh, but it's not always there, and I think we need to look at that and look at things from different perspectives. Then, as a result of that, because there's going to be massive opportunity. I'm, I, I would I would think uh, as we come out of this. But we've got to be open to it. We've got to be ready for it. Yeah, different perspectives. It's an interesting one. I immediately think of Northern Ireland at the moment um, where there's different perspectives. It's nobody's seeing anybody else's perspective, yeah. it seems, at the moment there. Do you think coronavirus and Brexit from a political leadership point of view has really, uh, it's like the tide going out. We've seen who doesn't have any swimming trunks on at this stage. Yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult one and, and I, I'll, I'll apologize in advance if I don't get into it. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's one of those things that uh, it's it's tough. I mean, it's it, it can't be easy. And mm. uh, but again, if, if you look at you know leadership, uh, there's lots of lessons of what's happening right now. And let's not go there. Might be easier <laughs> not to go there. <laughs> uh, you must be going for a political office in the future. You're, no, you're, it's just you don't want that quote out there. One thing I learned in the military is uh, be, you know, save your politics aside. And, uh, <laughs> That's fair if, enough. If, if we talk about leadership, it's a different story, but, you know, it, it's too intertwined at the moment with politics um, yeah. when, you, when you go yeah. down that route. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't matter what you say, you, you will always offend somebody. So uh, I was told a long time ago, you know, in, in Irish context, sometimes above the weather and politics. So. Yes, yeah, it's true. What I think, what I do think is interesting as students of leadership is that you are seeing those types all over the place. And you can actually, you know, you can, because of the evolving nature and the 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 disruption that's happened, you know, like it's week to week uh, in some yeah. cases, is that they haven't had time to spin things. So yes. So you're seeing the real person you know, in a lot of cases. And I think that's really interesting. So that, that's pretty inoffensive, isn't it? We can... <laughs> no, I, actually, I, I, as you're saying, I, I, I used to work with a, one of the most interesting CFOs, uh, a guy called Abdullah Mansour in uh, Dubai. 
and uh, he we were we used to work together in a coaching context but we used to talk about what's going on in the world and yeah. we used to talk about you know leaders in the political context and the lessons you could learn from that were just phenomenal mm. I always you know think back to my conversation with Abdullah they were so fascinating uh, and that different perspective that was happening because at the time we were in, we were in the kind of middle of Brexit and mm. what was happening in the U- US with you know uh, President Trump and what was going on in other parts of, of Europe and, and, and even in the Middle East and it was really interesting you could draw so many parallels but I almost preferred to go to sport and talk about sporting leaders <laughs> yeah. and uh, and what we could get from you know some of those leaders that we admire from a sporting context because similarly we talked about military and, and, and business. I think the parallels we can learn as well from sport and politics can be quite interesting. Yeah. You know, because it's all behaviours. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it definitely is. So you've you've been a leadership teacher. You've obviously in the military, the one thing about the military is it's a rank-based organisation. So hmm. what's been the, the good boss experience that you've seen? What, what, have, what have good bosses really given you? Yeah, I've been very fortunate, you know, when I think about the military leaders I've had, you know, uh, there's a guy who springs to mind, uh, Salem Dance, and Salem, Salem was, he went to the same school as I went to as well, in St. Charles, St. Uh And I was overseas with Salem, uh, unbelievable leader. I ended up in a general. Mm. And, but the other guy I have to mention who was on that same trip was uh, a guy called uh, Mossy Canavan. He was our Lieutenant Colonel Britannic Commander time and I was very fortunate you had both Senna and Amasi on that trip who were just phenomenal leaders uh, in their own right and both of them uh, got to the rank of general uh, in the defence forces uh, but you know just it was so consistent so clear so transparent uh, you felt very safe in their environment you know uh, you always knew what to expect mm-hmm. and it was always a pleasure being around around them both and I've, I've met Senna a number of times over the years you know, in rugby circles and you just you know you they're just so transparent in their behaviors and so you know I look at those two guys in particular uh, in in the defense force there's lots of others I mean but I'm singling out these two because when you answer the question uh, I gotta be I gotta be very clear about you know yeah. those two guys in particular but I've been very fortunate in my life I, I I've had uh, really good mentors you know, and, and growing up, uh, I would have played a lot of Gaelic football and uh, I had two mentors in particular, a guy called Mike O'Neill, uh, who got a coaching all the way through uh, from under 14 to 21. And I would have represented Galway all the way through in that, that time and we would have been quite successful. We were we hit a golden patch, which was really good, but he taught me so much about life and about teamwork and and just taught me the way. And then I did, I did my coach in St. Charles, the guy called uh, Father Oliver Hughes, Again, phenomenal, unbelievable, and again, I, I I think I think back to the two of them, and, and I'm very I'm very conscious on on giving back myself, mm. and I've coached for 15 years, and I think a lot of that is because of these individuals and the skills that they taught me, and you know they they were so kind of again transparent and very team based and very fair, very honest, you know, uh, but also you knew that you know there was there was a job to be done. And yeah. and then one of the guy uh, who was my mentor when I went to study golf a long time ago, a guy called Paddy Flynn, uh, was the captain when I got up there. And again, he was just a super guy. And 
taught me a lot about, you know, simplicity and just getting on with it and, you know, just being true to yourself and being straight up and down and, you know, call it as you see it. And uh, was very caring, very, very giving, very collaborative. He ended up a general too funny enough now that I think about it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, those, they're, they're people that, that jump off the page. But there's another guy, again, that I've worked with for 19 years. And I know he's not my boss, but I've worked with him uh, as a, in, in a consultancy piece and coaching piece and leadership services piece, Kevin Thompson who's a CEO of RSA at the moment, uh, RSA123. And just, again, so, I mean, he was the guy who introduced me to, to uh, True North and being true to your principles and being true to yourself and, and mm. know what you stand for. Uh, and, you know, don't move away from that. You know, that's your ideology. That's who you are. Uh, so I think when I look at it, a lot of it is kind of, it's very personal. Yeah. Around your principles, around who you are, around what you're about, what you believe. And those people I mentioned, and I'm, I know the last others I probably could have mentioned, uh, but they just spring to mind as we're talking here, uh, because I, you know, they're. If I go back to good to great, they were the great leaders, mm. uh, or are the great leaders, you know, because some of them are still with us. And yeah. uh, so, for me, I was asked that question a long time ago when I was introducing good to great in a in a in a workshop, and someone said to me, "So, Tony, who who are the great leaders you know?" Yeah. And I really struggled, and uh, I had to go away and think about it. Uh, and I came back with with six. Of the six, two of them were in that list. So Very there's good. more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it, it's good to have that experience of great leaders. Obviously, this is the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, so yeah. I won't get you to mention the names in the same way of the, the bad bosses, but what did the bad bosses get really wrong that really switched you off? Uh I'm thinking out loud here now, and uh, no names, obviously. Uh, I think what Bad Boss has taught me was how not to do it. And I think it was the inconsistency. And, you know, it might have been one thing today and something tomorrow. Yeah. And, and I don't like saying this, but it, sometimes a lack of respect. And right. just because you're the boss doesn't, doesn't entitle you to, you know, to anything uh, that, it should be adult to adult, respect to respect. And I think that's the one thing I would have, I would have learned from, from the bad boss is, uh, you know, treat everybody as you want to be treated yourself. And sometimes I think one person in particular uh, didn't do that uh, yeah. and so inconsistent. And I think if you, want to, if you want to develop trust with people, you got to focus on two things. You got to focus on character and competence. Competence is easy because that's what we do and that's you know how we go about our day to day. But the character is about who you are. Yeah. And it's the integrity, the honesty, and all those type of things. And and if you don't have strong character, it's very hard to trust people. And I think that's what I what I learned about the bad boss. Uh, I didn't trust the character. I might have trust the competence, but I didn't trust the character. Very good, yeah. So we'll finish on this. What advice would you have for leaders who are willing and want to develop their own leadership skills? What's your piece of advice for them? You got to invest in yourself. You got to really take the time to uh, decide what's important for you. And whether it be, you know, that 10%, 20%, 7% around, you know, the formal learning or the, the kind of connection we have around relationships or the on-job, you know, experiential learning. Just build yourself a learning plan or a developmental plan. Uh, find yourself a coach. 
you know, it's, uh, of course I'm going to say that. <laughs> but also find yourself a mentor because, you know, mentors will allow you to navigate and will show you the way because that's what the idea of mentoring is. Whereas coaching will, will give you a kind of a future-focused, kind of objectivized view of where you should be going or could be going or mm. could be going. Yeah, not should, could. And <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, and I think, as I said a while ago, be curious. You know, just explore and just see where it takes you. But to be curious, got to be courageous as well. And, mm. you know, sometimes we gotta, we, we just got to take that bold move. Uh, that can be difficult, but can be quite rewarding as well. Uh, so be open all the time. Be open. Uh, everything is possible. Uh, Brilliant stuff, Tony. Thank you very much for coming on this episode of the Good Boss, Bad Boss pleasure. podcast. Great, great chat. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. I love how simply Tony puts it. Be curious and be brave. Thank you to Tony for being a great guest, a great mentor and a great colleague. If you want to find out more about Tony's work, please get in touch with him at www.dimensionsconsulting.ie. Thank you for listening. It really means a lot. And before I go, I want to say a special thank you to Angela in Hungary and Dinesh in India, who I've been working with in the past 10 weeks. It's been an absolute pleasure to work with such great people across the world. Don't forget to share or recommend the podcast to your friends and family and all previous episodes are available on my website www.stephennaughton.com or on whatever platform you're listening on right now. I love getting feedback about which episodes you've enjoyed so please do contact me and connect. You can find out more from me on Instagram at goodbossbadbosspodcast but for now that's it. I'll be back next month with another Good Boss Bad Boss guest. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.